0: This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode
1: 168. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. And in this episode, we have a special crossover with my new podcast. As some of you know, I've launched a new podcast called The Christian Publishing Show. It's a podcast that explores everything about Christian uh, publishing, from writing to marketing to getting an agent and an editor, and one of my guests on that podcast was our very own James L. Rubart. And as I uh, got his story of going from rejected uh, to becoming a public uh, best-selling author, I realized we have never shared his story on novel marketing. We've been doing novel marketing for five years and we've never told you the origin story of James <laughs> L. Rubart when he started off as an awkward high schooler, as did <laughs> we all. So anyway, uh, we're about to roll that interview on this other show. So you're about to hear another intro. Uh, but stick around after the interview, Jim and I are going to come back on novel marketing for a few more thoughts. Welcome back to The Christian Publishing Show. I'm your host, Thomas Umstadt, Jr. And today we are talking with James L. Rubart, And specifically, we're going to talk about his story of how he went from unpublished author to best-selling author. James, welcome to The Christian Publishing Show. It's it's fun to be here, Thomas. So when did you get started writing?
0: Well, I got started in seventh grade. Um, after... In English class, we had to write a short story, and I wrote my short story, and the teacher chose it to be filmed. So I got an A on the paper, and she chose it out of all the, I don't know, 25, 30 students to be filmed with a video camera. And so that was my baptism into writing, and I discovered, oh my gosh, I love this writing thing. And then I went to eighth grade, and I took journalism class and discovered I loved it even more than I thought I did and at the end of eighth grade year that's when it all got shut down
1: oh no what happened
0: yeah what happened was after eighth grade the teacher was also the one that ran the school paper and so she chose out of the journalism class those that would go and be on the school paper the next year and guess what i was not chosen and so i believed in my mind well I guess you have no ability to write. So I put it on the back burner for years and years and years, even through high school where I was looking at the people on the school paper thinking, I wish I could do that, but I have no talent. So I I ignored. The dream
1: was still there, but I, I kind of put it in the dungeon, so to speak. I think that happens with a lot of people where their dream dies, they, they let it die, or someone comes and kills it. Because uh, every child is a artist. Every child is a... Singer, And something often happens to kill that inner child and you have to become like a child before you can inherit the kingdom of writing, so to speak. Uh, so how did that happen for you, though? What uh, what? Ha- so you're in this like slew of despond. And so in your 20s, you picked up writing again. Is that is that how it happened? Well, yeah.
0: So yes and no. So this dream was there. It would not die. I, I, that's what I wanted to be. I knew in seventh grade, I want to be a writer. I want to be a novelist. That was the dream. But again, I got this message that I believed it was a lie, but I believed it that you don't have the ability to be a writer, but still the dream would not go away. So through my teens, Thomas, I subscribed to writers digest magazine and I dabbled in short stories and I even took creative writing classes in high school. So. I couldn't shut it down entirely, but I never went for it. And this went all through my 20s, and I talked to my wife about it, and she was very supportive. And again, I'll say I dabbled in it, but I never showed anybody my writing, and I never told anybody of the dream except for my wife. So that's where it lay for years. It was was dormant all through my 20s and 30s.
1: So what was the inciting incident where you're like, okay, (laughs) now I want to actually take this book, or this writing and do something with it where people other than my wife know that I'm doing this in secret.
0: Yeah. The inciting incident um, was my wife. So Darcy one day says I'm going on a fast. And I said, really what for? I don't know. Okay. How long are you going to fast till I get the answer? Uh, remind me what the question is again. I don't know. And so 24 hours goes by and I said, Darcy, did you get the answer to the question that you don't know what the question is she said no i didn't i said okay 48 hours goes by so she's two days without food and i said honey how long are you going to do this till i get the answer what's the question i don't know and so it's halfway through day three and we're riding in the car together and thomas it was one of those moments where god speaks to you so clearly um you just can't ignore it and he said jim i've given you this desire i've given you this ability When are you going to step out of the shadows and step into your destiny? And I was just, oh my gosh, you know, it was like that light bulb exploding over my head and God's telling me this. And I turned to Darcy in the car and I said, oh my gosh, I know why you're fasting. And she says, why? And I say, I am supposed to be a novelist. I mean, something I'd known forever, right? But now it was up out of the basement, up out of the dungeon, and it was forefront and center. And God wasn't saying you have to do this, but he's saying, Jim, I've given you this opportunity. It's time to step into it. Won't you come with me? And so I say to Darcy, I'm supposed to be a novelist. And she turns to me and she says, wait a minute. I've been hungry for three days and you get the answer. (laughs) And after we laughed about it, I got serious and I started praying, all right, which of these short stories that I've worked on over the years, dabbled in over the years, which one should I try to make into a novel? And I had written a paragraph, a paragraph, Thomas. So I can't say I dabbled on this story idea much, but I had written this paragraph about a guy who inherits this home that turns out to be his soul. And that's where my first novel came from.
1: All right. So then you had this idea and then you were just instantly a bestseller, right? It was just, you know, (laughs) you just send the paragraph to an agent and that turns in. what What was the next step?
0: So the next step was, so I've got young boys at this point in time. And the next step was saying, how can I write this novel? And I decided I can do anything 20 minutes a day. Cause I was coaching their teams and I was a very involved dad and I went to all their events, but I said to myself, I can do anything 20 minutes a day. And so I committed to writing 20 minutes a day on the novel and it took me probably from the start to finish. It was six years. So it took a long time and I was reading books and I was studying craft and I was trying to figure out what I was doing wrong and right. And that's some of the most discouraging time because you don't know. I, you don't know if this is any good. You're trying to make it good. But I, I didn't have anyone I was working with. And so I'm trying to make this up as I went. And in some ways, it's it's a very isolating feeling. You feel lonely. You feel alone. But I did have Darcy. My wife was
1: unbelievably supportive during that time. And it's also difficult as you study craft. Your taste improves faster than your ability to deliver on that taste. So you understand what good writing is better, uh, and you're able to recognize bad writing better. And often you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> and uh, I you realize just how much work goes into creating something that's good. And a lot of authors, I think, skip that reading of the craft book stage, or maybe they read one or two books tops. But really, I, I feel like that's really key, especially for fiction. Your craft has got to be good.
0: It has to be, and it has to be a study. Like you say, it can't be, oh, I read this book, and now I'm going to write my novel. It has to be, I'm getting an university education here, and so I have to go through this book and underline and make notes, and then another book, and another book, and another book. Then I go back to the first book, and I read it again, and I talk to people and say, what is a great craft book? What is the book I have to read? And you devour it, and then you devour the book again and again and again. And really, that's, that's how I learned to write was – dedicating myself to the study of writing fiction.
1: All right, so you've you've spent 6 bu- 6 years working on your first draft and then then what happens?
0: And so then in the fall of 2005 I finished my novel. And I have a friend who knows four editors because he recently got into the publishing world. And so he said, "Hey, yeah, use my name. Send Uh, send a letter out, send a query letter out, use my name, you know me, and let's just see what happens. So I sent the letter out to four editors. Three of them got back to me pretty quickly and said, ah, Jim, sorry, we don't have a slot for something like this. Uh, Nope, that's not going to really work for us. Pretty basic rejection. um, And I was okay with that. It just, they didn't have room for it. But the fourth one, Thomas, the fourth editor writes back and he says, is your novel finished? And how long is it? And I knew a novel had to be finished to be considered by an agent. And I'm so excited. And I type back, yes, it's finished. It's 148,000 words, (laughs) (laughs) which gives you an indication that I didn't know what I was doing. 148,000 words is about a third too long. But I didn't know that, right? Um, So I send this off, and I'm excited to hear back from him. And I get an email back a day later that says, it is not my job as an editor to put your book into the type of position and formatting and length where it would be considered for publication. Boom. out. Okay. I mean, it was was very terse. Um, And it felt like a rejection, but at the same time, I'm going, yeah, but what happens if I do get it in the right shape? And so I wrote back and I said, if I can get the word count to where it needs to be, is this something you would consider? I get an email back the same day. Dear Jim, you don't know how privileged you are to get this email from me. I almost didn't respond. And Thomas, he proceeds, yeah, he proceeds to say, you might consider reading this book to get your writing in shape, which happened to be a book I had read probably five or six times underlined Thought I had applied all the principles of the book to my story. And yet he's saying, you need to read this book. So what did that tell me? It was like a lightning bolt scene. Once again, you cannot write. You do not have the ability. Why don't you just give up? And then he closes the email by saying <laughs> in capital letters, mind you, with exclamation points. This is our last communication. <laughs> and he signs the email out. Yeah. And I was just devastated. And I stopped working on my novel. I stopped sending it out to people. I stopped reading fiction, actually, because I thought, well, my dream is never, ever going to come true. So I might as well
1: just stop right there and be done with it. Wow. So I I can't imagine how discouraging that is because you've been working on this for six years actively. After a like a pretty clear call, right, like your wife is fasting, and like that that seems fairly clear, but like like I've said on the show before, just because God called the Israelites into the land of Canaan didn't mean that they didn't still have to fight giants once they got there. <laughs> a lot of people think that god's call means the path is going to be easy. And if the heroes of the faith show us anything, they show us that that is not often uh, the case, right? God calling Esther to save the children of Israel didn't mean that it was easy for her uh, to do that. She had to put her life on the line. And, and yet you're, you, you did the work. At least you felt like you did six years worth of work and you still didn't have the results and you're giving up. So how, what happened next? How did you get out of that dark place?
0: Yeah. So here's what happened next, but I want to touch on something that's subtle that some of uh, the listeners might've noticed about my story. I didn't send him the manuscript. I just sent him a query letter. Here's why that's important. When he writes back to me, he says, you might consider reading this book. I believe the lie that I can't write, but what is he judging that on? Well, he wasn't judging me. He was actually, I think in his mind, trying to be helpful to me. In other words, he had not read my manuscript, so he didn't know if my writing was good or not. But I assumed that he was talking about my manuscript. See how subtle that is? And see how I started to believe the lie. And I think on this writing journey, we are so sensitive. When we start out, our skin is tissue paper thin. And so the wrong look from an agent or the wrong look from an editor or an offhand comment that they probably didn't even need uh, intend this way can derail us and take us out. So people who are listening going, man, I just that email i got or that look i got or that discouraging comment that is part of the journey and if god has called you to write you need to choose to believe that or not and that's one of the things about the writing journey that has become so clear to me and it took a while for this to become clear to me but thomas it is not about the writing in other words god wanted to do a work in me and he has taught me through those specific instances not to believe the lie so quickly, to step back, to take time with the Lord and go, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? How are you shaping and molding me? How are you making me more like your son through this suffering? And if we take that attitude rather than, I have this dream and I need to be published and God's gonna publish me. No, 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 wait a minute. It's much deeper than that. It is what he is doing in your heart and your spirit and your soul. And a lot of times that suffering that we go through in this industry, just like in the rest of life, is about ultimately bringing more healing and ultimately about making us more complete.
1: That's so good. And I think for a lot of writers, writing is one of the most difficult things they ever do. And that difficulty of the task is what makes it such a powerful character building opportunity, right? Like it says in the Bible, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And Tests are not fun, right? No, no student is like, I'm excited to be tested. No employee is like, I can't wait for my annual evaluation with my boss, right? Like, that's not something that we yearn for typically, but it is something ultimately that is what helps us to get better. It's a, something that helps us to improve and not just in terms of craft, but also in terms of trusting God and walking with God. Cause I do believe that he's far more interested in his relationship with us during the journey than he is in the results, how many books we sell or the kind of impact that our book has. Cause the reality is there are a lot of Christian books that come out and he can use any of those books to help people. Uh, you know, We each have a unique story, but God is very powerful and he doesn't need us to move. Uh, his you know kingdom forward. He can do that with others and he can do that on his own. Uh, but he chooses to use us and uh, he often chooses to use us by improving us in the process or at least working on our character in the process even though uh, I imagine it's quite painful. <laughs> quite painful. It definitely has been in my life when I've gone through those kinds of seasons. So uh, what happens next in your story?
0: So what happens next is I'm, I'm devastated and my wife continues to say, what are you doing in your book? Are you working on your book? No, I'm I'm not, honey. And then a friend of mine um, said, Jim, I'm going to this writing conference in California. You should join me. Nah, nah, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that stupid writing conference. Well, I mentioned it to Darcy and she says, Jim, I think the Lord's telling you to go to that thing. No, no, I know If it's going to happen, God can. No, Jim, you need to go to this conference. And so I went to the conference and it was Mount Hermon, 2006 spring of 2006, my first writing conference. And Thomas, I get there and I feel like I've come home. I feel like, oh my gosh, this this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I had a bunch of uh, uh, meetings with editors and agents. And I think four out of the five editors I sat down with said, send me the manuscript. And uh, a bunch of the agents did as well. But here's the thing that was a game changer for me. At Mount Herman, you can send in your manuscript ahead of time to be, to be evaluated. And I chose to send it to an editor and an agent. And the agent I sent it to was a, a gentleman named Steve Lobby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've <laughs> heard of him. I think, uh, I think his agency sponsors this podcast, as a matter of fact. Or presents this podcast, I should say. <laughs> he does. Yes, indeed.
0: And... So I sent my manuscript to Steve, and you pick it up, I think, on Saturday morning and see if they were interested or not. And Steve, I didn't even know Steve was – I thought he was going to say yes or no, but he took the time to write a note. And the note started off, dear Jim, you're a good writer, but – and then he goes through to talk about these things that I could improve, what he didn't like, and this kind of thing. But Thomas, that one line, you are a good writer, was – oh my gosh, uh, I – I. I can write. I'm not just a hack. There, there's some talent or ability here. And, and something as simple as that was incredibly encouraging to
1: me. And this is your first encouragement really from an industry professional in what? Six years, seven years? Um, ever, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you'd been actively working on your book for six plus years and got nothing but negative feedback on it for six plus years. And ultimately you, you get a letter that is mostly criticism, but it has one sentence. It's like you got your first sentence of positive feedback. Uh, What a great way to see it that way instead of focusing on the rest of the letter of like, Oh my gosh, he has so many corrections, but to focus on that one sentence at the beginning.
0: Yeah. You know, all those kids on American Idol who thought they could sing back in the days when American Idol was a big deal, everyone else knows they can't sing except them, right? They've deceived themselves. That was me. I was that kid on American Idol. And all I wanted to do is have one of the judges say, yeah, you got some ability. And and that's what Steve gave me. He said, yeah, yeah, you're a good writer. And I was just, oh, my gosh. And so even though Steve re- rejected the manuscript, that was incredibly encouraging to me. And all these editors and agents showed interest in my work so that by the time I left Mount Hermon, I was just Thomas. I was on cloud nine. And I met a, a gal named Trisha Goyer, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. And Trisha and I and her husband, John, the three of us became friends. And Trisha said, Jim, hey, send me your manuscript and I'll give you some critique on it. I'm like, what an incredible offer. And so I sent her my manuscript. She writes back to me very quickly and says, oh my gosh, Jim, this is so good. I'm going to recommend you to my agent. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. Well, another friend of mine in the industry that ended up getting an agent said, I'll recommend you to my agent. So, I sent it to those people. Those people love the manuscript. And then finally, I made a friend, an editor at Mount Hermon, and he said, I'll introduce you to my agent. And so, that's why I'm a big believer in conferences, because conferences oh my gosh, you you start to build relationships. And I will say this about conferences. Conferences are not about meeting editors and agents and getting contracts. Conferences are about relationships. It's about relationships. And honestly, I went into Mount Hermon knowing nothing. I was so, you know, water was still coming out from behind the ears in gushes. I just wanted to make friendships. I just wanted to build relationships. I just wanted to understand what this industry is about. And that ended up happening. And so- the editor that rejected my manuscript out Mount Herman, <clears throat> he ended up becoming an agent later on that summer. And he ended up signing me. Um, and that is that's So that's summer of 2006. Now here's what's interesting, Thomas. He took my manuscript, which was rooms was this first novel that I had written. And he shopped it to everyone. And everyone said, well, this guy can write. Um, but what the heck do we do with this weird book? Wait, it does not fit in any genre. What do we do with it? Uh, We can't publish it. And here's what's interesting, Thomas. My friends and my family were more upset about the fact (laughs) that nobody bought the book than me. (laughs) Because my question, again, was, can I write? Is there even talent here to go after? And since that question had been answered by first by Steve and then by my agent, and then these houses saying, yeah, the guy has ability to write, That's what I really wanted to know. And with that encouragement, I could go forward. And I decided, all right, I'll put that book on the shelf and I'll start writing book number two. And here's what I've learned over time, Thomas. Talent, I thought, oh, I have to be talented to be able to become a novelist. And what I've realized, and you and I have talked about this many times, is talent is incredibly overrated. (laughs) What you want is perseverance.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the three things that I look for in clients, it's resonant hustle and courage it's not talent because uh, i i value that hustle so much more and there's a saying that the carpenter doesn't just build the house the house builds the carpenter And that by making the house, the carpenter becomes a better carpenter. And the same is true with authors. The author doesn't just build the book. The book builds the author. And what you did moving to the second book, I think, is a a key uh, that our listeners can take away that a lot of people don't do. I think they stay stuck with that first book. When in reality, that first book built you far more than you built it. And if you take all of those skills into a second book, uh, you are starting fresh. You're writing. You're beginning the book with the skills that you finished the last book on. So it's like your ceiling is now your floor and suddenly you may have been in the basement with your writing and you fought and fought and fought to get to the bottom floor. But now your feet are actually on solid ground finally. And you can actually start to climb to those heights. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you're going to f- abandon book number one. Uh, but I do think it's, it's wise especially for novelists to be willing to put number one aside and start working on book number two. Uh, so which book was book
0: number two? So book number two was Book of Days, which actually ended up becoming my second book. Rooms ended up getting (laughs) – the one that was rejected by everybody did end up getting published first. And how that happened was I was going to ACFW – In the fall of 2007, so about a year after the book had been rejected by everybody. Well, one of the rejections that came back to my agent and myself was from David Webb, the executive director of fiction at B&H. And he essentially said, I was so impressed by Rubart's material, I found myself wishing Andy Andrews had written the book. And what he meant by that is I can't take a chance on an unknown author. If Andy Andrews or Ted Decker had written this, yeah, I'd publish it in a second. But because Jim is unproven, sorry, I can't do that. But there was a PS at the bottom that said, if this book doesn't sell in six months, bring it back to me. And so being a marketing guy, <clears throat> I set up an appointment with David Webb at the ACFW conference a year later. And so I walk in, I sit down, I don't introduce myself, I just say hello, David, would you mind if I read you an email? And he said, puzzled look on his face, uh, sure. And I read his own email back to him. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't assume that he remembers who you are or that he remembers the email. Right. But I want to make this impression with, remember who I am? Do you remember this manuscript? Um, you said this. And so he gets this smile on his face after I'm done. And he says, oh my gosh, you're the one that wrote rooms. And I said, yeah. He said, I've read 200 manuscripts since I read yours. Wow. And yours is the one I can't get out of my head. Let's take another shot at it. <laughs> and I said, sounds good to me. So uh, we took another shot at it, took it back to committee, and the book ended up selling. And then it went on to become a best-selling book. It did. It, it became a bestseller, and it won the RT Book Reviews Inspirational Novel of the Year. And so, yeah, everything okay. really took off for me at that point.
1: That's really exciting, and a lot of people see that success of like, well, gosh, his first book was a bestseller. You know, Jim is an overnight success, and I'm like, well, there's a little more to that story. <laughs> it was <laughs> a lot of of hard work uh, to get there, and I will say, having that first book be so successful is unusual. Usually, people don't find their stride until book two or three or four, especially in fiction. Um, but that grind at the beginning is the same. Like there is a journey and you have to walk through it.
0: Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And I've got two more stories before we, we wrap up, Thomas, to add to that one. I didn't mention that in August of 2006. So I go to the conference, Mount Hermon, 2006 in the spring. In August, I went to a writing intensive with Cease Murphy. Some of your listeners are familiar with Cease and it was very small. It was eight people. And essentially, what Cease did is just ripped your writing apart. The way it worked is you sent him five pages ahead of time, ahead of the the retreat. And then he sent back what you need to work on. I was ready to get that email going, Jim, these first five are great. Send me five more. <laughs> <laughs> that did not happen. Cease absolutely sliced and diced my writing and just tore it up and... He did it again on the next five pages and the next five pages. And literally we were working four hours a day, refining and honing and polishing. And so after that retreat was cease, I went back and rewrote the entire book. And that was hard work because I realized all these lessons I thought I had learned, I needed to learn to a greater degree. And so to your point, there was
1: tremendous hard work that went into that book. And Cease Murphy is somebody, uh, who ever uh, who you should know. If you haven't heard of him, he is kind of the secret brains behind Christian publishing. He's ghostwritten, written, I think over a hundred books and, and far more books than that. He's had a hand in like rooms where, you know, he's not on the cover. It's not like with Cease Murphy because it's not like he ghost wrote the book. You know, he gave you feedback on a few pages, but that inspired your whole writing style ever since then. And, uh, almost every writer I feel like who's been successful has been touched in some way by C. Murphy, either going to a conference that he helped sponsor or something else. He's um, he, he's kind of retired now, but he he's like the great the godfather in many ways of uh, Christian uh, publishing. And uh, we actually have a course of his on the Christian Publishing uh, Institute, Christian Writers Institute, well worth um, listening to. All right, and and you said you had another story, another final story before we close.
0: Yeah, I'd just like to close with this story. So I get a contract in summer of 2008, 2009, the summer of 2009, May of 2009. There's a writing conference in Seattle, and I'm on the board of directors for this writing conference. The conference director sends out an email and says, hey, agents and editors are coming into SeaTac Airport. Would any of you be willing to volunteer to pick one or two of them up? I see the list of names of the editors and agents coming in. And you know where this is going, Thomas. One of the names was the editor that so brutally rejected me three years earlier. Yeah. So I write back to the conference director and say, I will be willing to pick him up. Everything in me is going, what are you thinking? You do not want to do that. But I felt like the spirit said, Jim, you need to face this fear. You need to face this giant in the land. So you're going to pick him up. So I write, I'm willing to pick him up. <clears throat> I drive up to the airport. A couple of weeks later, I pull up to the curb and I see him standing there because I, I I I know well who he is, but he wouldn't he wouldn't know me. Um, And it's important to know that he wouldn't remember the rejection of me. He, you know, he's seen thousands of proposals or query letters by that time. So I pull up to the curb, Thomas, I park, I get out. I step up, I shake his hand, how are you? We put his luggage in my trunk, he gets in the passenger seat, we start driving away. And Thomas, I kid you not, two minutes later, I'm going, oh my gosh. He's just an insecure little boy, just like me, with his own wounds and fears and hopes and dreams. By the time we get to the conference, 40 minutes later, we're friends. By the time the conference ends, two days later, we're fast friends, and we've exchanged emails and phone numbers. <clears throat> and to this day, Thomas, he and I are, are great friends. And when I tweet something, he always retweets it. We retweets it. When we're at conferences, we take time to sit and chat. And on the way back after the conference was over, I took a big chance and I said, <clears throat> "I've got this book coming out next year. Um, when I get my advanced uh, advanced reader copies, would you?" Consider reading it and putting up an endorsement. (laughs) He said, sure, Jim, you bet. Send it to me. So I sent it to him and he emails me back and he says, oh my gosh, I I read the entire book on a three and a half hour plane flight back from a conference. I absolutely love this book. I'm going to put up a five-star review for you on Amazon. And he was good to his word. He did it. So I guess my point, Thomas, is back then the Lord was doing something in my heart And he did something even more powerful three years later with the same man. And if I had not stepped into that fear, if I had not kept going, oh, my gosh, I would have lost out on a friendship. But even more so, I would have lost out on the chance to realize God does go before us, that he is in every suffering, that he is in every circumstance. And more than anything else, he wants to draw us deeper into himself.
1: Yeah, man. Does he know that he re- he sent you that rejection? Did you ever tell him? Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. No. No point. I because
0: that could potentially. I think that would that would hurt him. And and I, I'm just. There's no way I'd ever
1: do that. That is really great. And a part of the story we didn't get to is that you randomly met a guy at an airport in Austin airport uh, named thomas (laughs) Sumset jr and y'all were like hey i think i've seen you on social media (laughs) we ended up starting a podcast together novel marketing podcast uh, which has been going on for five years now we just passed our five-year anniversary which we forgot to celebrate (laughs) I'm just now realizing it was five years like three weeks ago oh my gosh (laughs) but uh anyway i've really enjoyed doing that podcast with you. And we put together a course, I should mention this. It's the five-year plan to becoming a best-selling author where it's kind of Jim and I sitting down and going through a lot of the books that he, re- he had to read and sometimes reread and a lot of the lessons he learned the hard way. We, we try to make it easier for those uh, coming behind. And you can find out more about that at novelmarketing.com. Jim, where can our listeners find out more about you? So best place to find out more about me
0: is uh, at my website jameslrubart.com and the best place to email me is jameslrubart at gmail.com and I've got something kind of fun, Thomas, for anybody that emails me, I will send you a song that I wrote that was inspired by my novel Rooms. I went down to Tacoma and with my nephew, we actually created a song that that kind of came out of the book. So if you want to email me and say, Jim, send me the song, I'd be happy to send that song along to
1: you. Awesome. Jim, thank you so much for coming on my other podcast to be one of my very first guest. You are welcome. And for those of you listening, there's a good chance that you have friends uh, who are writers and you may have never heard their stories. You may be surprised by what you learn when you ask for their stories.
0: Yeah, you you know, telling each other your stories can be inspiring. It can be encouraging. It absolutely will build deeper relationships. <laughs> a lot of times, some of the stories in there, stories within the stories, are actually quite humorous as well. So we encourage you. Um, in the next couple of weeks... Hear the whole story from a writer friend of yours and tell them
1: your whole story. This episode has been brought to you by The Five-Year Plan uh, to become a best-selling author. If you've been listening to our podcast, you're familiar with this plan and you have now about two weeks before the price is going to go up. So we mentioned it on the course we do recommend that you check it out if you are feeling lost in your publishing journey and you wish you had somebody to hold your hand along this journey go to novelmarketing.com forward slash courses you'll be very glad you did and
0: our featured patron this week is pathway of peace living in a growing relationship with christ by cheryl elton and essentially it's how to heal from broken relational patterns so you can choose safer friends going forward you can evaluate when it's time to press into a friendship or let a friendship go and we'll have links in the show notes where you can go and check out that book in more detail
1: so jim that's the end of the year almost Do you have any cool plans for new year's eve um I think I think Darcy and I are going to do the same thing we did last year, uh, which was to go to bed
0: at nine o'clock and get a good <laughs> night's get a good night's sleep. <laughs> You're becoming an old man,
1: Jim. You're becoming an old man. Oh, I know. It's I know. I know. I heard a story. Somebody uh, talked about this epic conspiracy that their parents played by changing all of the clocks, moving them three hours back or three hours forward, so that all of their kids thought it was midnight and they were experiencing New Year's Eve, but it was really nine o'clock. And uh, now that we have a a small one, uh, I'm not sure what my plans are going to be. We have uh, our, this is my first New Year's with a baby, so we'll have to figure it out. Uh, there's a football game uh, that night and my wife's alma mater is in a bowl game. So who knows? Maybe we'll watch that. Uh, but for those of you thinking about New Year's resolutions, there's something I wanted to shout out and we'll have a link to this in the show notes. But this really cool um, 10 second test you take, uh, it's called the health, wealth, love test, and it helps you know what to work, what to focus your New Year's priorities on. And uh, it's really cool. It's got these little sliders so you can know how good is your health, how good is your wealth, how good is your love, and it gives you a happiness score at the end. And uh, it's just a helpful tool. I thought it was fun. It takes 10 seconds to do. You don't have to sign up for anything. Um, And it's by uh, the copywriting course, uh, which um, by Neville. So anyway, I thought that was cool. I thought I would share it with you of cool things that I found. Jim, have you found anything cool recently? Well, I talked
0: last week about Atomic Habits. Loving this book. Another book I got at the same time is called Sacred Rest. Recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity. And I love the subtitle of that, Thomas, because a lot of listeners right now are going, oh my gosh, that's me. I need that. And I'm reading this book, I guess, in anticipation of 2019, and I'm not far into it. So my recommendation is based on just the first chapter, but I'm loving it so far because there's a big difference between getting sleep and getting rest. And we typically do not build rest into our schedules. And so this book, I think, is going to promise to do that. So I'm really excited about that. And we'll have a link to the uh, to that book in the show notes
1: as well. All right. You have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Sumstatt Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, sharing a special episode of the Christian Publishing Show, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.